Hey, this is Nicole. Um, I am trying to do something a little different with this podcast. This actually is an intro, uh, intro podcast and a promotion podcast. So um, I was invited to be one of the speakers for the new OARise.org. Um, which comes out of central Oregon. I think it is actually the birth child of Trish. I don't know if she'd want me to tell you that, but I want to toot her horn because uh, this is definitely her baby. She couldn't do it without support, of course, as could none of us, but it's her brainchild. And um, so oarise.org, twice a month, they have speakers um, from one to four Uh, come in and on various subjects and it's also a uh, sort of fundraiser for um, world service office so uh, it does pitch for seven traditions and then the money that is left over after paying solely for expenses it goes is uh, donated directly to world service So um, not only do you get great recovery, uh, but you also get to financially support through your contributions, um, our world service office. So uh, anyway, I was invited uh, to lead one of those. And whenever it's virtual, I love to share the stage. And so I did, I got to share it with Stacy and Megan, um, who you have heard on this podcast with me. So not only do I think it's awesome that I get to promote the OA Rise uh, website um, here, but um, I'm also going to include the uh, talks from that Sunday. And I will put the links in the window or in the uh, this podcast description and I may upload them individually I haven't decided maybe I'll do this intro with each one and yeah maybe I'll do that I'll do this intro and before each one and I will just really encourage you to check out the oarise.org because uh, Trish and Sherry um and whomever, I don't know everyone on the team, but I know that uh, they are working very hard um, to put this together and to bring in speakers from all over. So uh, that's my intro and hopefully it wasn't too long. And so this will be the intro to, well, I can't say which one because I'm gonna use the same intro for each. So this will be the intro to one part of the workshop that happened on uh, November, I think it was 14th, and it the workshop was called Refresher for the Holidays, and we uh, went over steps one, two, and three. So thank you, and good day. Thank you, our seventh tradition. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. We send all contributions in excess of our expenses directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive overeaters. 
Our expenses are a large meeting Zoom subscription and our website, including extra storage for the recordings. Contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, info at oarise.org. There is also a contribute now button at oarise.org. Um, okay. Um, all right, so I get to do the introductions. Hello, my name is Nicole. I'm a sugar addict bulimic. I was uh, blessed with um, the invitation to be a speaker at this meeting uh, for uh, steps one, two, and three um, as a way to kick off the holiday season before we get into, you know, the triangle. Well, we already had one part of the triangle, the Bermuda Triangle, the Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And uh, I love to coerce my sponsees into helping me. So I am actually going to have two of them. First of them is Megan F. Megan is my sponsee from San Francisco. She will be talking on step one. We would like to leave time at the end of each step for Q&A or um, questions, or I mean, or pitches or sharing. So Megan, how would you like your time? Let's say you'll talk for 40 minutes. That's a good um, like every 15 minutes. I'm going to try to pay attention on my end as well. Does okay. That, yeah. I'll just kind of wave so it's not too distracting. Okay. So awesome. without further ado, Megan F. from San Francisco. Yay. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and I actually live in Portland now, but I, I'm from the Bay Area. I think there's a lot of California people on the on the line, which is good. Um, so first, I just want to say thank you, Nicole, for this opportunity to do, to do service. And I was sitting here and praying to my higher power to have this service serve my own recovery, because that's the only thing I can really control. And I hope that, you know, you guys get something out of it as well. Um, but I can't, I'm trying not to look at the number of people ticking up on the meeting, because otherwise I'll just get, get nervous about it. Um, but I, I appreciate um, this service. So I'm just gonna gonna read the step to remind us. We're talking about step one today. One step one. We admitted that we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. And as I was looking at this step, I actually realized that it was a bit of a two parter. Right? There's part A. We admitted we were powerless over food. Part B is that our lives had become unmanageable and the principle for this step is honesty. Um, so just to qualify a little bit, I came into um, OA in January of 2013 and I got abstinent in July of 2013. And I have not had a whole ton of physical weight loss. I tend to sort of ping between the same 15 pounds. And I have to remind myself that you know, I was compulsively overeating every single day of my life before I came in. And if I wasn't in recovery, I would sure as heck be a lot heavier um, than where I am now. Uh, and my abstinence is no binging, no starving, no exercise bulimia. And there are certain foods um, on my red light food list, especially at sort of the intersection of sugar and flour, um, that I have not eaten in about eight years. And, um, you know, I have a lot of sanity and relief um, around those foods. 
And so also part of my abstinence is I go to two to four meetings a week. I sponsor. I'm in a long lineage of, um, of sponsors. I'm very lucky here in Portland that I get to be in the same rooms as my, let's see, my great, great sponsor is in the rooms with me here. And it's just, it's wonderful to be um, in such a line of amazing women. Um, and I, I work the steps. And um, so I'll talk a lot, I think, today about what it was like and do some, do some reading. And um, this was a really good exercise for me to sort of think about my understanding of step one. Um, because when I came in, I was pretty sure I understood the first part of that step. step. We admitted we were powerless over, over food. I was so beaten down by the food when I came in. I, I really did get my powerlessness, but um, the part about my life being unmanageable, I don't think I really understood until about a year ago. It took me longer to get that part of it. Um, and so I'll talk a little bit about that as well. So um, what it was like, uh, I grew up in a pretty shame-based dysfunctional home and the sort of culture of my family was very DIY. Um, you didn't talk about real things. You didn't ask for help. And my family's tools for shame were grandiosity, denial, control, and perfectionism. Um, and which, you know, are all well and good. I can still get grandiose, right? Uh, and it all works until it doesn't. They're great tools until you come up against something like the food where you have no control and feel a tremendous amount of shame. Um, and so the culture of my family was very much like, if you make a mistake, it's your fault. If you have a need, no one is gonna help you. And so today, still my first reaction to making mistakes is to cover them up or when I'm having needs is to pretend like they're not happening. And thankfully I have enough recovery now that I can like sort of course correct that. Um, and so I have a deep seated program programming to pretend that everything is okay on the outside and to figure it out myself. But I also get to see in my family, um, just in my, my immediate family, I get to see attempts at con controlling the consequences of the disease or the disease itself. So in my immediate family, there is anorexia, type two diabetes. Uh, I have a sibling who had cosmetic surgery by the age of 25, another sibling who had gastric bypass, uh, alcoholism, obesity. So, you know, these are all different ways my family members are trying to, you know, control or not control the disease. And it is only by the grace of my higher power um, that I found this program. Um, and yeah, I'm just so grateful for that. So to talk a little bit about what it was like uh, and the level of powerlessness I had with the food, um, so I started compulsively overeating from a very young age. I, you know, hid food, I hoarded food. Um, and that was really a way that I, I sort of moderated my fear and anxiety um, with growing up in a very, you know, chaotic and sometimes abusive home. It was a great tool for me when I was younger. Um, and then as a teenager, I started to pull my parents' diet books off the shelves and, um, 
you know, I started trying to diet, whatever that looked like. And, you know, I might be able to diet for a couple of days or, you know, maybe even a week. Um, but I was never great at it. Um, and when I really thought about my powerlessness, I mean, I, I came in the program at 27. So I was not one of those people who had tried every diet on the block before I came in. And yet I still understood my powerlessness around food. And I was like, well, how did I, how did I know that? And I, so I have to, to sort of go back to a time in my life, um, which was my, my college years, um, where I was really beaten down by this disease. And I actually, I'm grateful for that today. Um, so I came into college and I gained, you know, probably like the freshman 10, freshman 15, because when other students were, were hanging out with friends or dating, I was binging in my dorm room by myself. Um, so I gained some weight. And then my sophomore year, I, deci I decided that I was going to do something about it and, you know, be the person that I was, was meant to be. Um, and I found a diet book that was edited by some editors of a women's magazine and I started um, starving myself. And then that's also where I picked up my exercise bulimia um, where, you know, I would spend all day running around on the tracks to the point where I actually bruised all the bones in my feet and could hardly walk. Um, I also have a disability, so I walk a little bit differently. My gait is different and I injured myself so much that I couldn't even walk. And that, you know, that's like the level of powerlessness I have over this disease. Um, and then I still like force myself to swim and, and, it, you know, it was all very punitive and punishing and not fun or, you know, a source of self-care for me at all. Um, and then at the same time, I was still looking for loopholes in my sugar addiction, right? So I would try to, to consume the most sugar I could or fake sugar that I could for the least amount of calories. And I think that's, that's one of the big things that separates abstinence to me from a diet is you know, refraining from compulsive foods and compulsive food behaviors. It's like when I was dieting, I was still trying to get my fix whatever way I could just with fewer consequences. Um, so I was still doing that. And I had in my head that I thought being thin would be, would mean that I would be loved and safe, but really it just disconnected me further from my, my peers. I was so wrapped up in the narcissism of my disease at that time and so worried about like what other people thought about me and my body and should I show up at this party or should I not um, that I really had no awareness of how my actions were impacting other people and I've recently had to go and, and make kind of a major amends for that time in my life because I just I was so in in you know, the self-involvement of the disease that I just, I didn't know. I didn't know what I, you know, what I was doing. Um, and I would lie awake at night and cry because I knew that my willpower would not hold on much longer and that I was more obsessed 
while I was on this diet, you know, I was more obsessed with food and my body image than I had ever been at any other time in my life. Like it just made me insane. Um, and during that time, I, I like starved myself down by about 15 pounds, um, which is a lot, lot for me. I'm not, I'm not that tall. And, um, and then I went home on spring break and my willpower just snapped. And I continue, I proceeded to eat everything in the house and binge until I made myself sick and then binge and binge and binge every single day until I had gained back all of that weight and then some. Um, and looking at this diet now, I can see, you know, the, the book was written by editors at a women's magazine and I can see I was eating 1200 calories a day and it was probably, and, and then I was exercising like a maniac and it was probably a diet, um, that was meant for someone who was, you know, two or three times as old as me, uh, and that I was starving myself, right? Um, which is a form of torture. I was torturing myself. Um, and so I want to read a passage from the big book that I, I really love um, that sort of illustrates powerlessness. Um, so this is uh, from chapter three, more about alcoholism, page 30. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost our ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such, such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a, man, to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grips of a progressive illness. Over a considerable, considerable period of time, we get worse, never better. Um, you know, and that was really my experience with the food and with um, this diet. Somehow at the age of 20, I started to realize that I was powerless over food and dieting, and I just didn't know the pathway to recovery yet. And this diet really had knocked me down to the ground to the point where I knew I actually didn't have another diet in me. I couldn't do it again. It just made me crazy. Um, and so that was, I think, you know, a good learning for me. Um, Megan, uh, that's 15. Awesome. Thank you and so much. And then also, Megan, your microphone is, keeps picking up backwards. Some, it's like dangling or hitting something. So just okay. so you Okay. Thank you. Uh, I'll try to hold it. Um, so that's good timing. So throughout my 20s, I continued to binge and it was, you know, a very secret, shameful thing for me. And I would do the thing where I would go out to dinner with my friends and eat a normal meal. Um, and then I would go on the way home to, you know, the drugstore or the grocery store and pick up the second or third meal and binge at home alone. Um, and then I would binge on the way to work as I was driving to work. I would hide foods in my glove compartment of my, um, of my car and I would almost get in car accidents um, on the way. And 
I, you know, I would eat the foods while I was sitting at my desk of this job that I was eating my way through. Um, and then I would go out to the grocery store or to, you know, the drugstore again at lunch, pick up more food and have that, you know, that fix for the rest of the day. And so that's kind of, you know, the level of binging that I was at, you know, by the time I crawled my way in the program, I was binging pretty much every single day. Um, and something happened for me that I, I consider, you know, a miracle of my higher power, which is I was in the middle of a binge and I put something in the microwave that I was going to binge on. And as I was pulling it out of the microwave, I burned my hand on it. And I had this moment of clarity that um, this disease is going to kill me and there's nothing I can do about it. This disease is going to kill me and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, and that, you know, is a incredible admission of powerlessness. I think in that moment, I understood like, yeah, I, I don't have a solution here. This is not up to me. And from there, um, I found a meeting. I found, I, you know, I found a meeting and I went to my first meeting. So what happened is for the first time in my life, I told the truth about what was really going on and I asked for help. Um, for the first time in my life, I admitted out loud that I was a compulsive over overeater and the grip on me began to loosen and I began to come out of, out of shame about it. Um, and I was so desperate when I came in, I was willing to do whatever anyone who had more recovery than me said. So, you know, I just went to a bunch of meetings. I got a sponsor right away. I started working the steps. I became a little bit of a cheerleader for program, um, much to the annoyance of my non-program friends. Um, and, you know, I got abstinent after a couple of, of months, but I did not relate to the part of the first step where it says, and my life has become unmanageable because I had this idea in my head that if I would just stop compulsively overeating and also manipulate a guy to fall in love with me, that my life would just be perfect, right? Um, and my family's tools of grandiosity, denial, control, and perfectionism, like I was still holding on to those white knuckling it. And at the time when I came in, I had just um, started a business. I think I was actually unemployed, but I had just started a business and I had no doubt in my mind that I would be successful at it. Um, my grandiosity has served me very well at work. You know, those tools have served me well in my life. Um, but I couldn't deny my powerlessness around food and then also relationships. Uh, and then I was also living in San Francisco and working in the tech industry. So it was very like the chaos of that life was very normal to me. It was normal to work, you know, 10 to 12 hour days and medicate with alcohol and date people who were not available um, for a relationship. And, you know, I, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. And so was every single person that I knew, you know, it was just a very normal kind of kind of thing, I thought my life was perfectly manageable if I could just stop compulsively overeating. Um, so now I want to read from the the OA 12 and 12, and I have the, the older um, version of it. And this is from 
Let's see. This is from step one, page five. Um, our lives became unmanageable when the car wouldn't start, the computer break down, broke down, or our checking account wouldn't balance. We suffered from other people's unmanageable lives or from our bad, bad luck. What alternative did we have? We ate to state our fears, our anxiety, our anxieties, the angers, the disappointments. We ate to escape the pressure of our problems and the boredom of everyday life. We procrastinated, we hid, and we ate. Before we came to OA and began discussing our experience honestly with other compulsive overeaters, we didn't realize how much we had damaged ourselves and others by attempting to manage every detail of our lives. It was only when we began to recovery, recover that we saw our child, childish self-centeredness of our willful actions. By trying to control others through manipulation and direct force, we hurt the ones we, we hurt our loved ones. We tried to control ourselves and we wound up demoralized. Even when we succeeded, it wasn't enough to make us happy. We hid from our pain by, by eating, so we didn't learn from our mistakes and we never grew up. Um, I love this passage from step one. It's like the thing I probably relate to more than anything else in this book, actually, um, that it was only in recovery um, as I started to get recovery that I started to be able to see how unmanageable, unmanageable my life actually was um, and started to see how I was, you know, perpetuating chaos and dysfunction um, into other areas of my life. And so um, what happened for me continued to, to be in program. And in 2016, I moved to Portland and I promptly hit an emotional bottom with a major depressive episode and a romantic relationship that didn't go the way that I, I wanted it to. Um, I remained abstinent, but I was again in a place of incomprehensible demoralization. And I became again, willing to do whatever anyone who had more recovery than me said. And from there, I found a new sponsor, Nicole S. And I started working on my codependency that led me to some other programs. Um, and I really like, I'm just, I hope I'm not taking from Nicole's share, but I really like Nicole's version um, of the first step. So I'm gonna say that here. Her version of the first step is, I am powerless over food and my life is not what I thought it would be despite my best efforts. I am powerless over food and my life is not what I thought it would be despite my best efforts. So this, you know, was very true for me at year, let's call it year four or five of recovery that, you know, I was, I was abstinent. I, I was good at work. I was good at, at certain things in my life, but my life was still not what I wanted it to be. Um, and I couldn't control or manipulate my life into being what I wanted it to be. Um, so I relate to that a lot. Um, I started to work the steps with Nicole and I started to see how my family diseases of shame, abuse, alcoholism, and compulsive overeating um, contributed to the unmanageability in my life. And I started to see my part in unmanageable situations. And I can see now how, um, let's see, that I was 
unable to actually engage in any relationship, particularly romantic relationships, but really any relationship, even with friends, without engaging in one of my diseases. So that's either food, alcohol, or codependency. You know, like I just could not be that vulnerable with anyone without the, the shield of my addictions. Um, so I started to see that through working the steps. Um, and that I, you know, I too was unavailable and emotionally immature, you know, as unavailable and emotionally immature as the people I was trying, trying to date. Um, so what it's like now, I continue to work my program and the steps. And one of the tools that I use the most and is most resonant for me around step one is um, sharing my food in specific with a fellow in this program. And what I know to be true is that if I am honest about my food, then I am in step one. I have taken step one. If I am unwilling to turn over my food, then there is a part of me that thinks that it's up to me and I got it and I don't need help. Right. Um, and so that and, and to be honest, I'm not always willing to turn over my food, right? Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. Right now I'm in a place where I am willing to turn over my food. Um, and my version of step two is I became willing to tell the truth and to ask for help. I became willing to tell the truth and ask for help. And that for me um, is revelatory coming from the family that I came from is to just tell the truth ask for help and I don't have to know all of the answers all of the time. Um, and another thing that Nicole S says that I love is that step one is the only step we really have control over, right? The principle of honesty. We can only be honest about what we are putting in our mouths and how you know well we're working our program. We can only show up. Um, and so to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving, so last year at Thanksgiving, and this was pre-COVID times, um, we went over to some friends' houses and I, you know, I ate kind of a lot of food, but I was keeping, you know, keeping track of what I was eating and I wrote it all down and sent it to my food buddy. And it was like kind of a lot, um, but I didn't hide any of it on that day. I was a hundred percent. And there, you know, there's always this part of my brain that wants, wants my food, wants to lie about my food and wants to clean it up around the edges, or maybe not share this little part of it so that it looks more perfect or whatever. And it's really only when I get honest about it, um, ruthlessly honest about it, that then I'm free, right? Then I'm free of the obsession of body and mind and that I then can continue working the next step. So um, that the sharing of my food has been really, really important for me and really important for my abstinence. Um, and I was recently talking to a newcomer who said that she wanted the transformation of the steps but that she was not willing to turn over her food. She had fired her sponsor because her sponsor wanted her to turn over her food. And she said, well, I know I've been sometimes, but I think, you know, I don't need anyone telling you what to eat or I don't need to share my food. And I, and I just thought like, you know, for me, transformation is only 
a result of desperation. Like I have had no transformation in my life until I am willing to admit that I don't have all the answers and, and, you know, maybe to be teachable, right. That I don't have any, all the answers other people do. I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to do the work. And then that's when the transformation comes, right. Um, it's not until I'm willing to, to let go of the control, um, that things actually can begin to, to change. Um, so Today, I try to try to as much as I can one day at a time, just really have an understanding of my full extent of my powerlessness over food, over my other addictions and compulsions, over people, places and things. And that's really when I can start to see my part and begin to begin to change. Like, I think a lot of this most recent step work for me has has been um, seeing how powerless I was over the family disease of addiction um, and abuse and seeing like what was not my part helped me see what my part actually was. And then I didn't have to continue to perpetuate those things, you know, in my life going forward. Um, and I know today that when my food starts getting messy or my disease get, gets, gets up, the solution is not to control my food more. It's to lean into program and tell the truth and ask for help. And that I am not expected to know the answer, right? Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of outside issues and things going on in the world right now. And my disease can just, I call it the, the were as in the worrier. Like I, I can see the whir in my head where my brain just starts ticking and worrying about stuff that I just, is just so far out of my control. It's so far out of my control. And if I can, can meditate with that and sit with that, um, I can start to, to separate myself from the worrier and not be so caught up in it and realize like, you know what? this person or this situation has its own higher power and it's really really not up to me as like an individual person in <laughs> portland oregon who you know doesn't work in politics to figure that out um and then what becomes clear right is just like the next right action whatever the the next right action is for me and you know sometimes it's it's going to a meeting. Sometimes it's just doing my doing work. Sometimes it's doing step work. Sometimes it's making a phone call. Um, and Hi. oh, thank you. That's perfect. Um, oh yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So a lot of my my concept of a higher power is just not needing to have the answer, not needing to be in control. Um, and I actually think that's all that I have and all that I want to say. I made it to time. I wasn't sure I could talk about step one for this long. I'm glad that I did. Uh, thanks, everyone. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Megan. Now, um, thank you, everyone who's on the line. Trisha, can we open up the, uh, or Trish, can we open up the chat? So at yes. this point, we'd really like to invite people if they have any questions for Megan or any feedback or if they just want to take a minute to claim your seat and respond. We'd really like this to now be the fellowship time 
around step one. And then at two, we will start step two. So please let us know. What we encourage you to do is raise your little blue hand. Okay. If you're new to Zoom, how you do that is you click on the participants button on the bottom of your screen. And at the very bottom, one of the options is raise your hand. And then a little blue hand comes up. If you can't figure that out, turn on your video and raise your little blue hand. On the phone, I believe it's star nine. If you've called in, you can do star nine to raise your little blue hand. And we'll call on people. It looks like Marlon's got his hand up. Right. All right, Marlon, go ahead. Yes, I, um, I wasn't clear what I heard about um, uh, sugar and uh, using sugar substitutes. Go ahead, Megan. Yeah, okay, sorry, there was a, a, a alert on my screen. Um, yeah, so for me and sugar, I mean, I drink a lot of Diet Coke still, still, I do that. I'm still a compulsive overeater. I'm not 100% um, abstinent from sugar. And, and the, the way that I have sugar substitutes is like foods that, you know, are maybe not a problem for me today, if they become a problem, then I have to start talking about them and consider like, maybe I don't want that to be in my, my diet anymore. And so actually I could tell us, I recently, I had a food where it was a yellow light food for me and it had some sugar and it was like a a quote unquote health food, had some sugar in it. Um, And every, oh, I'd say six months or so, I, I just overate on this one food and I, you know, I wouldn't keep it in the house, but I would still every once, every six months, I would have a slip on it and I would end up in a place of incomprehensible demoralization with this particular food. And finally, the pain of just having that food be on the table all the time and like, should I eat it? Should I not eat it? I don't know. And then having to be honest about the fact that I overate it. Um, was not worth it for me anymore. And it's, I think it's been maybe almost nine months now since I've had that food where I'm just willing for today to not, not eat that food. Right. Um, and, and my food then, and my sugar intake or, you know, it's, it's just so much cleaner. All of my food is cleaner when I'm not messing around with these, like, you know, in the middle yellow light foods that might be okay sometimes, but aren't other times. So um, that's what I do. And it seems for me, like I will, I will get more clean about certain areas of my program. And then there's like another food will pop up and that's just kind of how it is, (laughs) is, um, you know, once one gets clean, then there's some other area that pops up and then I have to look at that as well. Great. All right, Michelle, you have your hand up. Michelle, we can't hear you. I, uh, yeah, hi, sorry. I was trying to unmute and mute. And anyway, um, thank you so much for your share, um, uh, Megan. And, um, you know, you, that statement that you said, um, 
we have middleware powerless over food and that um, this is what I heard you say and that our lives are not what we want them to be. And I totally, oh my gosh, I really relate to that because um, I've said it before. It's, you know, I would, this is where I, I really, my food took off was, you know, I was disappointed in myself in a career that didn't seem to work out. I really forced myself into it. And then, you know, I would go home and eat. Um, my father was dying and I just have a hard time. I was scared. I had a hard time feeling my feelings and I would go home and have a sugary substance. And it just seemed like I knew I was just, I mean, I know I had sugar problems since I was very young, but somehow it just really took off. And, um, I got up to 200 pounds. Um, and, um, I'm five, two, by the way. And it just was, I was powerless. I just, I couldn't believe it, you know? Um, and you know, there's a lot of, um, how do, how do I say that? A lot of denial that I still have. And that's why I kind of, I wanted to do this uh, one, two, and three workshop um, as far as that goes. Yeah. And so I was unhappy. And then I'd wake up the next day vowing I wouldn't do it again. And then, you know, I'd be sober for a week or whatever. So needless to say, I, I totally related to your share. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's honesty and having, um, it's me being honest and letting other people see me because it was, I grew up in a kind of, well, surprise, a dysfunctional home. I'm going to wrap this up in a minute, less than a minute. And um, so it's just um, food was comfort. Food is a comfort. And I, but I don't want to be 200 pounds anymore. And I, you know what? I just had a coworker that died who were the same age. And it's like, are you going to start to live? You know, I, I'm asking that of myself. So um, we all have uncomfortable feelings we don't want to deal with. So I have to do, um, I don't have to do this program I don't want to do this program, but um, I, I need to do the program. So anyway, thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Michelle. So um, Nicole, our next one is Bonnie. And I wanted to ask if you would like us to have a timer, Megan and Nicole, and if you would like us to have a timer two or three minutes or no? No, we'll just, if, if we run out of time, you know, we run out of time. Okay, be so are, we, are we stopping step one then at two o'clock? Yeah. And then okay. I think Stacy's on the line. So go ahead, Bonnie. Yeah, I'm Bonnie Jean, compulsive overeater in San Diego. I really appreciated Bye. you saying that uh, my life, well, I, what I heard was my life is not what I imagined it would be and not needing to have all the answers. Uh, yeah, because right now, uh, it looks like I might be in another male female relationship and it's scary as heck. Cause I know what I've done in the past and you know, my, I did better with my second husband than my first husband. They both died. We didn't get divorced, but it's to me rather miraculous considering the weapons I had for a relationship versus tools. And I wanted to thank you for those two comments because what I've been reflecting is I'm still looking so much in the past that I'm not so much looking right here. What that means to me is like this week is would have been my 39th wedding anniversary and the fourth anniversary with my first husband about something. And it's like, 
okay, right. You're going to have anniversaries. Things are going to come up. You're going to go up and down. It's okay to go forward even with this other stuff. And it's scary because, you know, when I open myself up to somebody, I'm opening myself to get hurt. And then I'm also uh, that I might make mistakes and hurt someone else. And I have to accept that that's just part of the package. You know, uh, I like what you said, because yeah, mistakes, mm-mm, that wasn't allowed in my, my childhood. It had to look right, not feel right. I mean, all of this stuff. So thank you for those two statements, because I'm, I'm going to be writing on those because it's like, I don't have to have the, all the answers. And one of the things I heard in another program was the solution for today may not be the solution for the problem tomorrow, but I need to be just staying right here. And I think, as I said, those two comments right there is just, if I don't hear anything else today, I'm very glad I came. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you, Joseph. Joseph? Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can, Joseph. Go ahead. Yeah, listen, um, I'm doing the best I can as far as food eating. I haven't been overeating. Uh, you know, I've been, you know, I, I, I've been striving to eat healthy and, 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 and most of the time I cook at home. Um, you, you know, meat and vegetable, potato. Uh, I have, I have fruit salad at home. I mean, sometimes I have, I have my snack. I, uh, you know, I will, I will have like four cookies. They're small. Uh, but other than that, I, I mean, like today I skipped a breakfast and lunch. I just wasn't hungry. I'm going to start to make my dinner soon. Um, you know, I, I, I was going to make like turkey meatballs, turkey stuff, peppers and tomato sauce you know, for tonight. And that's basically how I eat. You know, I have a a different meat each day. I have a vegetable. And so on. um, I'm also, you know, at the same time, I'm striving to get over a difficult time because I just broke broke up with a girlfriend. Oh, Almost like two months ago. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, Joseph. Keep coming back. Yeah, which I'm doing. And um, now I understand with this meeting, you can ask questions or something or. Yes, feel free to ask a question to Megan. Megan, I want to ask you something because you're a woman. Have you ever gone? a relationship where it was difficult to get over it okay joseph actually that's not appropriate to this meeting this meeting is for overeaters anonymous and if you have a question about the program or any of the steps yeah yeah i do um as far as the steps um what steps can i relate to as far as um uh Um, uh, the proper eating, um, or, uh, or, 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 or just like being happy, 
happy with myself. Uh, you know, because like I said, I'm, I'm going through a difficult time, but um, mainly the food, uh, you know, are there any steps additionally I have to take as far as uh, the eating of the food? Uh, Megan, let me, Joseph, I think it's important that you find a sponsor and attend a meeting. There's many meetings that will happen. I'm sorry, but the, the question is a little bit out of scope for this particular program. So I just, I just recommend that you keep attending meetings and find a sponsor. And there are, pamphlets, there are pamphlets Hello. about food plans. And Michelle, let me talk a minute. I have a sponsor. I talk to I talk to him every morning. Okay, and there are food plans that you can read, and there are steps in the literature that you can read. Uh, yes, I have the uh, book the the twelve step program. Great. All right. What Thank you. Are, what questions are appropriate for this meeting? So, Joseph. Okay. This is Trish. I'm going to jump in and private chat with you and I'll try to see if I can't help answer your questions because we've got several other people who have their hands up. So we're just running short on time. I apologize, but I will, I'll reach out to you on the, on the chat. Do you know how to use the chat? Okay. While Trish is dealing with that, Jen, do you want to go ahead and share? Hi, am I unmuted now? Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Megan, for your uh, your share, your your service. Um, I um, I heard what you said about you know not willing to if you're not willing to turn your food over to your sponsor, then uh, you're not willing to be honest. And uh, did you say that that was that? Well, obviously that's uh, step one related. But uh, could you go over that again for me? Because I, I, I do have issues with turning over my food to my sponsor. And I'm in a, um, a, um, I'm in a, a weigh and pay program. And so and so is my sponsor. So it's always been, oh, well, I, I stuck with my, you know, weigh and pay program. And she's like, okay. And so, but whenever I do turn over my food, uh, then it turns into something else where she starts picking on the foods that I'm eating. And then I'm not willing to do that. Mm. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that question, Jen. Um, what I do actually, so I used to send my food to my sponsor. And what I found when I was sending it to my sponsor was that there was a power differential in the relationship that caused me to not want to be honest about my food. And so the thing that works for me is actually sending my food to appear in the program where we share our food with each other. And it feels to me like a, an equal relationship where I have less of an inclination to try to clean my food up around the edges. Um, and we don't, I think it, or, or this is just my opinion, but it's okay to ask for what you need. And if you don't want feedback on your food, I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing. The person that I spend, send my food to, we don't really comment on it. It's just, hey, thanks for sending it. Um, you know, I received that and that's it. Um, and I, 
like that because as a compulsive overeater, I am very apt to go into shame very quickly um, about what I ate. And that a way of sending it to a peer is a way of keeping me honest and turning my food over to something other than myself, right? To a person that's not me. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. We have time for a short share because we're moving to two o'clock. So Nancy. My name is Nancy Beecham. I'm a compulsive overeater. I've been abstaining in Overeaters Anonymous for 44 years, maintaining 150 pound weight loss. And my sponsor was the founder of Overeaters Anonymous. And I read you from Roseanne's pamphlet that is very old and was written. And I don't know how this turned into a food workshop, but it did. <laughs> um, this was written, I think, in 1979. And then she revised it in 1988. And it says very plainly what she wrote in 1960 as she founded this program. Abstinence in food is to restore me to healthy eating, to sound behaviors and to sound thinking. What I put in my mouth is to nurture my body, not to comfort or excite or to play with, not to make me move forward or to go into the past, something to nurture me for that day. And so with that in mind, we need to go to a doctor or a nutritionist and discover a food plan that's appropriate for us and just do it. And the way that all of us did it back in the day was we got a food sponsor and we became accountable and we put it on paper and we got it rid of it. And we went on with what Overeaters Anonymous is about. And it's about principles and the steps. The short form of the, form of the first step is... I know it is I can't handle it. So we put one hand in a newcomer and one hand in an old timer. We got a posse of friends and together we started to get well. And we got well by not having any answers, by not arguing and suffering and struggling to forgetting about all those problems we had with food because now our food has been taken care of. So now what we do is we listen to the people that went ahead and put down the pebbles and they laid a foundation and we step in that foundation and do what they did. And you know, 44 years later, this is about the steps getting us through the holidays. And my holidays, I feel safe and secure and serene with food neutrality. I know what I can eat. I know to bring my own car so I can escape if I have to. I know to bring an OA friend. This is about learning a lot of tricks. There's so much amazing things here, but my brain was wired wrong. So I have to empty out my head and let you people in these seats put new thoughts in. And they have to teach me that I'm wonderful and I'm strong and I'm, I can be healthy and I can be fine. The reason we don't want to eat is all those things like sweet and low and, and, and all the things that are bad for us is because they're rotting our bodies. And when you get my age, nearly 80, you're going to be very sick. You'll have cirrhosis and diabetes and you don't want to do that. You don't want to rot your teeth. And so the truth is we want to be healthy. We want to hold our head up and be examples because you guys are close with this. You get to spend the best years of your life as you age, helping others right now from all over the world. 
Sure, we have troubles. That's why we're here. We're insane. So you get to learn here how to walk in a way that other people want a person like me who went to jail because she was so lonely, who beat her kids, who married men in prison, you know, who did horrible things. They want me to help them guide them with their life because I'm unrecognizable. Now I volunteer in kindergarten, do wonderful things. Where else can you learn this? So if yeah, I were you, I would suggest get on this path. Great. Get on this path and follow us and recovery. And let's get on with talking about how we can get through these holidays with peace and kindness, happy, joyous, and free. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. And sorry that we ran out of time for people, Tammy, Lisa, Marina. We will have time after step two. So um, hopefully you'll stick around. Stacy, are you, can we spotlight Stacy? I am here. I, I just, I, I need to pause the recording yeah. for just a second. Yep. So I'm going to do that. All right. It's actually going to stop and restart. Great.